G'day, good evening, welcome back wherever you are in the world. You're listening to Range Anxiety. I'm your host, Martin Donnan, and I bring you every week 30 years of automotive tuning experience in 30 minutes for your listening pleasure. Now, as I've been saying on and on, not on and off, we've been getting some really good feedback. Um, the numbers are looking great. A lot of them are, a lot of the people that, that really comment are people that know me and have known me for some time through the tuning game. Little known, uh, known to most of you is the fact that I used to do a lot of training back in my day. I used to train people how to tune cars. I know some of you that, you know, don't know me that well, or, or maybe do know me particularly well, but go, oh my God, Martin's ch- uh, training people how to tune cars. Well, yeah, I used to do a lot of it. You know, if they say if you can't do, teach. So maybe that's what it is. However, these, and they're all guys that, that have been commenting to me, they've been saying, Martin, in the feedback, when are you going to get on to slash and burn tuning? Now, it sounds like something out of a horror movie, and uh, it's not. It's actually quite a good thing, as, as we'll cover. However, it was a term, slash and burn tuning was a term I came up with probably 20 years ago or 18 years ago, I think, to to be totally accurate, to try and help people starting out in the game learn where they had to put their feet and their fingers when it came to tuning an engine. You see, because I got to watch a lot of these people tune, and a lot of them were tuning quite poorly, well, technique-wise, surely their results were possibly okay, I came up with a formula to help people get the job done in a timely fashion and an effective fashion that allowed them to tune the car, make some money, but overall gave the customer a better result. Now, I debuted this slash and burn tuning method, and the name is quite funny, and I was going to have some slasher you know, music playing like the, yeah, the soundtrack of Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, no... Um, Offence to you, Mark Tilbrook, because your workshop was on Elm Street, and we, we had some great days there, not nightmares, but that's something we're going to cover in a future piece, because Mark has agreed to come on the show. Those of you that know Mark will be going, wow, that is awesome. Those of you that don't know Mark, you should listen to this guy, because A, he can tell a story, B, he's absolutely brilliant in his knowledge of the industry, and C, his experience is second to none. So if you're listening, Mark, your turn's coming up pretty soon. I'm no Joe Rogan and you're no Mike Tyson or even though you're close but soon enough we'll get to you. Okay slash and burn tuning. I had to try and explain I was contracted by a company called Nispro back in the day to try and explain to uh, a bunch of people that paid to come to this big tuning conference on the Gold Coast in Queensland Australia. They paid to go there so I kind of had to present I was only part of the team. I even forget what it, what the event was called, but I'm, I'm sure someone will send me an email to dtech, D-T-E-C-H, at S-E-N-E-T S-E-N-E-T dot com dot A-U. Tell me, Martin, it was the, I think it was the Cobra Convention. I forget what it was called. But anyway, it was a cool thing. And these guys were rabbiting on about their Ford stuff and, and Simon, you know, is a true genius of the tuning game. You know, I kind of loved... His just blunt approach, but just it was just peppered with knowledge and experience and really cool shit. He was he was me 
times two in what he could do, and he probably still is today. Um, great guy. But anyway, they weren't big on the Holden stuff, and I was. So Simon said to me, because I knew him through some Ford stuff, that I was doing some SCT Advantage software training back in the day, and he, even though he didn't really need to, he was polite enough to come to one of my training courses and called me out on a few things, but I knew more than you did back then about it, so, you know, bad luck to you, Simon. Um, he contracted me to do the LS1 or the HP Tuners side of it. HP Tuners, great piece of software. Um, I kind of knew Chris Piestri, and he, I think his son's just won the World Formula 3 Championship or something now, so there's a lot of talent runs through that family. And anyway, I, I knew the product really well, so they got me to come along and talk to this big room full of people with a big whiteboard and a projector, and there was a lot of me back then, about how to tune LS engines. Now, I'd been training people sort of ad hoc and on the side and in little groups of the Ford stuff for a fair while at that stage. And one thing I hate about when people tune cars is that they just go straight to one part of it and they concentrate on one little bit of it and they start just, you know, doing a, one or two numbers in a table and looking for results. It's like, for those of you that aren't tuners, it's it's like if you're painting a portrait of someone's face, you just start on one of the eyes and you're just trying to do the eye. And I'm going, well, no, no, this is not the correct way to tune an engine. The first thing you should do is do the background and the outline of the head. And so that's where I came up with slash and burn tuning. We'll get on to the slash and burn bit at, uh, in a moment, but the main reality of it was what I called the reverse tuning method. So we would start at the end of the software and work our way forwards to where the really cool stuff was, you know, like the, the bits that make power and make the engine run. So we would go to the very end of the software where the, you know, temperatures of fans switch on are and where the diff ratio is and where the speed limiters are and all this sort of peripheral stuff. And I'll tell everyone, set up the periphery first before you try and tune the engine because I bet you anything, because I've done this because I haven't followed my own teachings from time to time when I've been a bit flustered or in a rush, you do all of the good shit and then you forget to do all of the little shit and the customer comes back, oh, the car's running too hot, oh, my rev limit is too low, or I was at the track and I got up 200 k's an hour and it shifted in the wrong spot or or it hit the rev limiter, and it's like, ah, oh, I forgot. Well, if you follow the reverse tuning method, you actually don't forget. You get it done, and you get it done right from the get-go. So, I came up with this little scheme, and much to the horror of the Australian distributors of, of the software at the time, Auto Technique, VCM Speed Australia, they were, they were there seeing what it was that I had to say, and they were like, oh, my goodness. What is he saying? I mean, I reckon they, I reckon I kind of got what I was saying, but I, I was trying to put the tune, what we call, in a box. You put the tune in a box, you get all the outside stuff done first, you paint the background, you paint the outline of the head, and then you start doing the detail, the nose, the eyes, the mouth um, of the portrait that you're painting, which in our case happens to be a power-making engine tune. And I could see them all going, oh, this Yovo, like, what's he saying? What's he doing? But I bet you they went back and tried it. In fact... The people that have been sending me messages some um, 15 years later are the people that still use it to this day. 
one of the biggest tuners in this country of um, GM-based product and a little bit of Ford-based product. He rang me up. I was talking to him the other day about a camshaft profile or something. And he goes, mate, I owe you so much. And I said, why is that? And he said, because, you know, I still do the slash and burn, but I learned that I was spending too much time doing the little stuff and not addressing the actual overall delivered end result. And you've made my life a lot easier over the years. I reckon you've saved me hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I said, look, here's my BSB and account number and my Swift code. Could you please make a deposit? And he laughed at me and promptly hung up. However, there've been lots of people asking about, like, you gotta talk about the slash and burn tuning because the name was cool. But I had to give it that sort of name so that people understood what the hell it was they were actually doing. So set up your periphery first, flash into the car, and then put the car on the dyno. You don't even need to put the car on the dyno while you're doing the basic strokes. So do it all first. And so you, then you get the car on the dyno. You get the car on the dyno and it's, you know, 20% too rich or it's too retarded. The biggest mistake people make is that I add 1% to something or, or just go up one in a number. Or Now, let me be very clear here. Whenever you're tuning an engine, always work in percentages. Percentages of lambda or air-fuel ratio, percentages of boost. The only thing we really don't work in percentages with is ignition timing. That's a different kettle of fish altogether that you can actually scale via integers like uh, one degree up or one degree down. So you can even slash and burn the tune if you know what, if you've got some experience. Again, like I keep saying, I keep saying it and it's, uh, it's like an old worn out statement. Experience is everything in this game. You know that with every one pound of boost you add to a normally aspirated engine, you're going to want to take about four or five degrees of timing out of it. So why wait till it's on the dyno, run it up and it rattles and go, oh, I'll just bring it back a degree. Get your map right at the start. Take all those numbers out before you even attempt to pull. Get it done at the, at the beginning. And that way, when you put the tune in a box, you've got less chance of putting the engine in a box which is ultimately what will happen if you use a non, um, how can I say it, a, a, a non-planned way of tuning an engine. Slash and burn, they're two really memorable words and worthy of a good chuckle and a good laugh, but it reminds you to actually put the tune in a box before you put the engine so the engine doesn't end up in a box going to someone else to rebuild it. You get what I'm saying? Plenty of people do, and today there are plenty of people using this technique, and they can thank me for it because I was the only one ballsy enough to put my reputation or what, what there was of it on the line to actually do this and stand up in front of a few hundred people and say, here's how you got to do it, here's what you do. Now, it is some 20-something years later, and shit is a lot easier now than it was back then. You know, you buy a big set of injectors for a car, you don't even bother buying them unless they give you data. They give you like a little cheat sheet to put into your software. So all of that basic slash and burn of injector sizes, up 20, down 30, up 50, you know, down 80, whatever it was to make the engine just get to a point where it didn't foul plugs, that doesn't exist anymore because the game's changed enough and, and suppliers are, are 
hammered competitively enough by other companies that they have to supply this basic information. Well, we didn't have any of that. We had to use big modified LP gas injectors or just horrible crap, really. I mean, it worked, um, but we had to come up with our own numbers because no one was giving us numbers. And that's where slash and burn was a really, really useful thing and still happens to be today. Now, I had to use a slash and burn technique on a tune this week. I had a guy came in, uh, he, he came in with a, a VFV6, which is a Holden Commodore or a Chevrolet, whatever, for my American listeners. It's got like our Alloy Tech uh, V6 quad cam engine in it. And he put like this, uh, or he made us put this manifold spacer on it, which looked like it was machined out of plywood and pretty much doesn't do much apart from look like it's machined out of plywood and lift the manifold up a bit and make the over the radiator inlet that he'd also bought from uh, VCM Performance in Australia. Beautiful piece, beautifully made and, and great instructions. Made that really hard to fit as well because he changed the height of the manifold. Well, anyway, we put this thing on the end in the engine. We donate it first, as you do. You get your baseline. And we made, you know, oh, I've got to put this in. No, I won't. I'll just do it in metric terms. Bad luck, Americans. You can do a conversion. We made a 168 or 7 kilowatts at the wheels. We put a list stuff on it. And I said, well, let's run it again to get a baseline. And we made about 130. And it was pig rich. And it was horrible. And it was like, wow, this is no good. People are saying you can you can put this stuff on an engine and run it without a tune. Well, you couldn't unless you wanted to actually go much slower than you were initially going, and no one wants to do that. So I had a bit of a look at it. It was way too rich. It had no timing. It was like it was like the load scaling of the engine was out by about twenty to thirty percent. So hmm, these things are airflow meter based. I went straight to the airflow meter table. I got out my samurai sword, the, the math calibration, as us technical nerds call it, and I slashed it. I didn't sit there adjusting it up and down, looking for slight nuances in mixture that I may never see. I took 20% off, bang, just like that, straight up. And guess what? Thing responded, woof. All of a sudden, it's up 20, 30 kilowatts over even at stop run. Righto. Now we're in the ballpark. So within three power runs, three power runs, I got this thing so that the full load fueling was spot on, the timing is where it needed to be, the load signal of the engine was right because I used slash and burn. If I hadn't used that slash and burn technique, I would have been there for hours working from one end to the other, trying to log things and look back at them. Now you must always log if you have the facility to do it. Any decent dyno does it these days or any really good software will do it for you as well and you can see what's actually going on uh, you know anyone can log it's a matter of being able to read them too because reading them is quite tricky if you don't know what it is that you're looking at so i took these big 20 20 swipes at the, this thing and it was about 23 percent in some areas in the end and then i took it off the dyno and i thought i've made such big swipes at this i've only done three or four power runs on it I better check what it's actually like to drive. And at idle and off idle, it was absolute junk. So then, because I don't have to put full load into it, I don't have to keep wearing the engine out and pulling the string and potentially damaging the thing, then while it's in the car park, 
I can add little bits to it, look at the trims and do all of that fine finishing off, you know? So if I'm painting my portrait, I'm now just putting the eyelashes and a bit of like, you know, color in the eyes. I'm just, you know, the whole thing's painted, it's done, but I'm just adding the finishing touches. Very important. And without using the much lauded, often laughed at, but more often used slash and burn tuning technique, it wouldn't have got done or it would have got done a lot harder and in a lot more confusing fashion. Don't be frightened tuners to get in there, work in percentage on sensor scaling and check the scaling or volumetric efficiency scaling. Get in there and start taking a chomp at it, as we call it, because if you do that, you're going to be famous. Probably not infamous like Freddy Krueger, but you're going to get the job done. You're going to get customers through the door and you're going to make money out of it. And more to the point, you're not going to do 60 or 70 runs on some poor guy's car, wearing it out, thrashing the living shit out of it to get a result that may be as good as if you'd use this technique. Which brings me to another point, dyno runs. I know I've been over it before, but I had a Falcon in this week, Ford Falcon straight, inline six, barra, barra the world, the guy didn't know how to tune boost on it, the guy that had tuned it, so he put a bleed valve on it and turned all the over boost and under boost cuts off so that it wouldn't cut, it would just work off the bleed valve. And he still did 60 runs, or 58 I think it was, to get it right, and it was still nowhere near right. What the hell are you doing? When you see stuff like this, it's when people should sort of learn that they need to find a different profession or do something you know, or maybe get some training. There are some good training courses out there now. A lot of them are, you know, overly pedantic, I think, in some ways. They don't use the broad stroke principle, which you must do, unless you're racing in a control category where you're given a base tune and you're trying to find 0.1 of a kilometre an hour off the corner. You know I mean, sure, there's a place for everything. And there's a place for excessive data logging. But certainly trying to do 180 kilometres an hour on the road is no place for data logging or, or no speed to be doing at all. So we move on again to the next point, which is the holy grail of engine tuning. Right back in the day, a good mate of mine that I used to go out clubbing with in Sydney when I was a youngster, he ran a very successful Subaru workshop up there. Some of you have already guessed who he was already by that. Said to me, Martin, I'm looking for a staff member. There's someone in Adelaide He's an apprentice at a local dealership. If I give you his details, can you ring him and, and basically give him a, an interview for me and see if he knows his shit or not? And so I rang this guy. His name was Steve Bodger. He was an apprentice at Dave Potter Motors. He got, I just dobbed you in hardcore there, Steve. Take that. And he was a kid, 18 or something at the time, and he was good. So I said to the guy that was going to employ him, mate, yeah, he's good, I'd have him. So he employed him, he moved to Sydney, and, and he got on the tools, but then started tuning. And he became one of the best in the shortest period of time that I think I've ever seen. He was like the flame that burned brightly, but for a short period of time, because he soon got sick of it after about seven or eight years, and went on to a totally different uh, industry altogether. I think he's in banking or finance or something now, he doesn't tell me. All I see is that he rides a lot of push bikes on Facebook. But one of the funniest and smartest guys I think I've met in the game. And he said to me one day, he said, Martin, this is when he was right into it. And 
I think he'd moved to the UAE at this stage and was tuning some hardcore, you know, massive horsepower rigs for some sultan or prince or something over there. And he said to me, he said, Martin, have you ever seen the holy grail of engine tuning? And I said, well, I kind of know what the definition of the holy grail is, but I'm, what is the holy grail of engine tuning? And he goes, well, that's quite easy, Martin. What it is, is a combination of parts and software mismatched to an engine that badly that by free revving the engine without exceeding the standard RPM limiter, you can actually destroy the engine. Now that would be easy enough to do if you could just sit there on the rev limiter all day and it didn't have the correct amount of oil or coolant in it. No, no, no. The rules for holy grail spotting were very simple. You had to be able to free rev it uh, five or less times to the rev limiter. You weren't allowed to hold it for more than five seconds on the rev limiter each of those five times. And to be part of the holy grail club, the engine had to completely and catastrophic catastrophically disintegrate to the point where it basically needed a full rebuild, if anything at all, was salvageable. He had seen such a thing and he described it to me and I said, wow, I've never seen anything like this. Tell me more about it. So over the next five or six years, while he was, could still be bothered playing with cars, we went in search of holy grails. And I've only, in the time since then, I've only ever seen two holy grails of engine tuning. One was barely straightforward. I'm not going to go into it because the parts manufacturer is still in existence today and I, I don't want to be receiving letters from their lawyers. But the second one, and again, I'm not going to talk about the parts on the engine, had a, a belt-driven supercharger and the guy, it wasn't the supercharger's fault at all. It wasn't even the engine build's fault. It was possibly the tune's fault. I'm not sure how good the knock detection was because he was checking how good the suction of the inlet was when it was free revved and his fingers actually slipped inside the compressor and he lost three of them and I believe the knock sensor tuning of the engine must not have been up to scratch because the combination of blood and bone running through the supercharger caused, well I believe that's what caused it, caused an immense engine failure that was as funny as it was horrifying. I mean, I still know the guy, well, I've seen the guy a couple of times since without his fingers, but he still quite proudly tells the story and he's got a tattoo on his arm about it and about how the car ate me hand. Yeah, nah, not for me. So that covers off most of slash and burn tuning and most of the Holy Grail. What I want you to do, and I know there are listeners out there, I know there are some of my tuning buddies around the world that have their own holy grail stories and I want to do a feature I want to do a whole cast on the holy grail of engine tuning so please if you have a story I need you I implore you to email it to me at dtech at senet that's d-t-e-c-h at s-e-n-e-t dot com dot a-u and we will feature you and feature your story and maybe you can become just as infamous as I am. So on to next week's episode. It never stops with Tuna Wars. And people saying, Martin, when are you going to cover this? I remember this that happened. I remember that that happened. And you know, it is actually kind of enriching my life a bit, all of this, because I'm remembering stuff that I'd forgotten a long time ago. So I reckon next week, I'm going to do my best to cover the Blue Oval Brigade. Because 
you know, it's always been about the LS and the turbo cars and the GDRs and stuff that I was, you know, mainly involved with. And the Ford guys, apart from Rob Herrod, because he did some great things for the industry and he cleaned it up. It was a shit show originally. There was cowboy tuners. There was people doing crazy stuff. There were bullets getting fired through people's workshop windows. I kid you not, not in South Australia where I am, but there was some crazy shit going on and I'm just starting to document it all now. So it'll probably be a full week before I can get back to talking to you all about Tuna Wars. I reckon it's Tuna Wars 4 and we're going to call it the Blue Oval Gang because they were the closest thing to highwaymen that you could ever see in like an undisciplined tuning environment and the stories are actually magnificent. So make sure when you see it come up in your feed that you tune in. Till next time, thank you for listening to Range Anxiety.